you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. One of my favorite kids' movies of all time is The Lego Movie. If you haven't seen it, it's one of the most creatively funny films ever. Lego Movie 2 and the Batman Lego Movie are really good as well. The Lego Movie includes a theme song that is hard to get out of your head. Everything is awesome. The opening lyrics of that song go like this. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. Everything is awesome when you're living out a dream. What a nice sentiment, right? Well, if you talk to many people today, everything is not awesome. Instead, a more popular song might be, everything is traumatic. The opening lyrics in this mythical song would be, everything is traumatic. Everything is just too painful to get past. Everything is traumatic when it feels like the hurt will only last. Trauma has always been part of the human condition. When our first parents sinned, I imagine that being banned from their home, the Garden of Eden, was traumatic. Learning one of their sons murdered the other must have also been traumatic. All through the Bible, we read of wars, plagues, famine, killings, rape, childlessness, poverty, all traumatic. Then think about the rest of human history, the large-scale persecution of Christians in the Roman Empire, the dark ages filled with plagues, disease, bloodshed, slavery everywhere for generations upon generations, war after war, the American Revolution, French Revolution, Russian Revolution, the Civil War, the war to end all wars. That didn't do as promised. The Great Depression, more wars. The reality is that living in this fallen world with fallen sinners is always traumatic. Even during times of relative peace, people are still hurting each other. Traumatic weather events like hurricanes and tornadoes and blizzards are still happening. So if trauma is a universal experience throughout the history of the world, why aren't all people traumatized all of the time? To ask it another way, why does it appear that we moderns succumb to the negative effects of trauma much more easily than past generations? Are we weaker, more sensitive, or has the impact of modern psychology just put a label and symptoms on something that people have always struggled with? Whatever is the case, it's pretty clear that more and more people believe that they cannot overcome trauma that enters into their lives or they're being told that they can't handle it. Good biblical sense tells us that Christians should be spiritually resilient, able to deal with traumatic situations, even though they can be extremely difficult. We serve a God who comforts us as well as strengthens us by His Spirit. By definition, we Christians are overcomers, conquerors in Christ in this fallen world. Yet at the same time, we are human who experience ongoing weakness and sin as well. Trauma can expose idols of our heart 
and habits of thought and behavior that needs to change. So let's dig down deep today into the challenging problem of trauma so that we can learn to glorify God and be sanctified through it. When we speak of trauma, the first diagnostic category that comes to mind is PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Several hundred years ago, doctors began to describe PTSD symptoms, particularly in soldiers who experienced combat. In the late 1600s, a Swiss physician coined the term nostalgia to describe Swiss soldiers who suffered from despair, sleeplessness, homesickness, and anxiety. In 1761, an Austrian physician wrote about nostalgia in trauma-stricken soldiers as well. So nostalgia, the precursor to PTSD, reached American soil during the U.S. Civil War. In fact, nostalgia became a common medical diagnosis that spread throughout camps. Many medical doctors viewed this new illness as a sign of weakness and a sign of a feeble will, often recommending public ridicule as a cure for nostalgia. How compassionate is that? Now, after the Civil War, U.S. doctor Jacob Mendez de Costa studied veterans who had nostalgia and concluded it was from an overstimulation of the heart's nervous system. The condition then became known as a soldier's heart, irritable heart, or de Costa's syndrome. What we know today as PTSD really came into a new level of awareness during World War I, when it became a major military problem commonly called shell shock. The symptoms of shell shock were severe anxiety, nightmares, tremors, impaired sight and hearing, overall nervous disposition. Later, this term was replaced with war neurosis, since there were soldiers who had these symptoms who were nowhere near exploding shells. Then in World War II, British and American doctors began using terms such as battle fatigue, combat fatigue, or combat stress reaction to describe the symptoms, again, we now label as PTSD. Then in 1952, the American Psychiatric Association added the diagnosis of gross stress reaction to the DSM-1, their first diagnostic Bible. The diagnosis related to psychological issues stemming from traumatic events, including combat and disasters that lasted more than six months after the trauma. In 1968, though, this diagnosis disappeared from the DSM-2. Then in 1980, the DSM-3 was published, and there we have the official label PTSD, which was only intended at first to be used for those who survived severely traumatic events like war, disaster, and even sexual trauma. A clear distinction was drawn between those sorts of things and less traumatic events like divorce, illness, and financial hardship. Today, the American Psychiatric Association estimates that 7.7 million American adults have PTSD. Why such large numbers? Because the criteria has changed in the latest edition of the DSM. So follow with me then through the seven criteria that you have to have in order to be diagnosed today with 
post-traumatic stress disorder. First, there has to be a stressor. The person has to be exposed to either death, threatened death, actual or threatened serious injury, or actual or threatened sexual violence. But here's the key. That exposure can either be direct exposure as a witness to an event or even just hearing about a relative or a close friend who was exposed to a trauma. Second, then, there has to be intrusion symptoms. These include upsetting memories, nightmares, flashbacks, or some other emotional distress. The third criteria is avoidance. A person has to avoid trauma-related thoughts or feelings or any external reminders of the trauma. Fourth, there must be negative moods or thoughts. A person may now have negative thoughts about self, others, or the world, blaming self, a decreased interest in activities, or just feelings of isolation. Then fifth, there must be alterations in reactivity. What that simply means is higher irritability, risky behavior, hypervigilance, a heightened startle reaction, or difficulty concentrating or sleeping, all because of the trauma. Sixth criteria, the symptoms must last for more than one month. Seventh criteria, the symptoms must create significant functional impairment. Okay, I hope you followed all those criteria for a PTS diagnosis. And I also hope you recognize how broad it's become. A trauma of any kind can be experienced in a variety of ways, causing lasting issues with mood, behavior, sleep, relationships, etc., So it's not a surprise that more and more people are diagnosed with PTSD as well as people who say they have PTSD because they are having a hard time getting past a traumatic event. Well, let's move on then to some practical and biblical principles to help us deal with this challenging problem known as PTSD or simply a poor reaction in general to trauma. First principle, we must lead with compassion. When Jesus looked at people who were struggling, we're often told in Scripture that he was moved with compassion. When someone is not responding well to a trauma, he or she needs the compassion of Christ from close friends and family. Now, compassion is much more than just pity or sympathy. It provokes a person to take caring action, to offer help and understanding for those who are the most to be pitied. In our day and age, the professionals are often sent in to respond to a tragedy. Think about all the school shootings that we see on the news through the years. We are always told that a team of counselors or psychotherapists have been sent in to offer aid to students and teachers who witness the shooting spree. While grief and trauma experts can be helpful, people who experience trauma need compassion and help that flows from the God of all comfort. They need friends and family and pastors and church members who can offer love that is connected to Jesus Christ and the work of the Spirit. Now, sometimes for us as Christians, quite honestly, it's hard to lead with compassion. We can put forth the message that people should be tough and strong, able to handle hard times and scary things without wavering. We can be repelled by weakness, heavy tears, and high emotions, 
especially if they last for days and weeks and months. Now, don't get me wrong, we'll address the fact that many people are driven by emotions and are too fragile for a variety of reasons. But that doesn't mean they don't need compassion at the beginning of the traumatic experience and for a time after it. It may be that part of the explanation of why more and more people are suffering from PTSD or a poor response to trauma is that they don't have people in their life giving them genuine relational compassion. They are often isolated or have poor relationships to begin with. Showing compassion to people struggling with PTSD symptoms doesn't mean we are enabling them to stay that way or saying that they can't help it. It is simply mobilizing ourselves to care for someone who is truly dealing with a difficult time. It is showing them Jesus in the face of trauma. Then secondly, we must understand the specific trauma. What is trauma? The dictionary defines it as a, quote, deeply distressing or disturbing experience, unquote. Another definition is, quote, the experience of severe psychological distress following any terrible or life-threatening event, unquote. Well, these are pretty broad descriptions, aren't they? There are certain types of events that are clearly traumatic in most people's experience. War, an attempted murder, a physical attack, being sexually abused, sudden loss of home, property, loved ones, etc. But then there are experiences that some people would find traumatic, but others do not. A severe weather event, a challenging illness, a broken relationship, especially divorce, a wayward, rebellious child, etc. While there's agreement that these are hard situations, they may not rise to the level of true trauma. Yet then some would argue that trauma is in the eye of the beholder. It doesn't matter if that event wasn't traumatic for me, a similar one may be traumatic to another. Now there's some truth to this understanding, but we have to be careful not to label nearly every difficult experience as traumatic. Then there's the issue of how the person experienced the trauma. Debbie's PTSD came from being held up at gunpoint and nearly forcibly raped. Edie's PTSD came from being at the same school where three teens were murdered during a school shooting, even though the gunman never came to her floor. Wouldn't Debbie's PTSD potentially be harder to deal with? The reality is that some people are traumatized by direct experience, others as eyewitnesses to a terrible experience, and still others just hearing about it. Frances suffered from PTSD-like symptoms when she got a call that her sister's home was burglarized in another part of the country. So determining not only what the traumatic experience was, but also how it was experienced is necessary in order to deal with the actual PTSD symptoms. Just to be clear, going through a trauma itself does not mean a person will have PTSD afterwards. Like anything else in life, we all respond differently to traumatic situations. Understanding what was so traumatizing and why it still has an impact on the person will help the person to address it biblically. Third principle, it's also essential to understand our world. The Christian should know that due to Adam's original sin, we are all born into a corrupt, fallen world, full of death, 
disease, and disruptive challenges of all kinds in daily life. Yet we can often act like this world shouldn't have so many traumatic events on a regular basis. Life on this earth is supposed to be easy, comfortable, and stress-free, especially if you have plenty of money and worldly success. So when we turn on the television to watch the evening news and find out a school shooting occurred, we are shocked and dismayed. How could someone kill innocent children and teachers? How will my daughter feel safe when I send her to school tomorrow? Just the other day, I was reading to my children about the bloodiest battle of World War I, the Battle of the Somme in 1916. We were stunned to read that one million men were either wounded or killed. One million. Now, I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't be traumatized when a few children and adults are killed in an elementary school. But what I'm saying is that we often need to put things in better perspective. One million wounded are dead in one battle. How about the Black Plague? Anywhere from 75 to 200 million people died. That's just mind-blowing. This world has always been a place of trauma. It's not the exception, but the norm. So to properly deal with PTSD symptoms, we must recalibrate our minds back to reality. We are not promised heaven on earth, peace and tranquility, even as Christians. Traumatic events will come to all of us at some point. And that doesn't mean, again, that we'll all have to be oppressed with PTSD. Accepting this reality of the world we live in should not take us towards anxiety or depression as Christians. It must make us long for heaven and seek the Savior. Our response to trauma must be grounded in the fact that to be human in this fallen world means to experience trauma. The question is, what will we do about it? So, as we lead with compassion and develop some understanding of the traumatic experience itself, what has to be done next to confront the challenge of PTSD? Well, I think the next thing is to deal with the grief. Trauma requires that a person enter into some deep sorrow rather than just shut out any emotion at all. This sorrow may be mixed with anger, resentment, and even some guilt. Why did this have to happen to me? What did I do to deserve it? How could I have avoided it? Many people do not grieve well in our world today. A world, unfortunately, that often sends the message that grief should be short. Grief should not be very intense or grief shouldn't exist at all. Even Christians can confuse grief with depression or with despair that must be avoided. But a real trauma is grievous. It will produce great grief, whether it was directly experienced or just witnessed. What about the child who witnessed a thief murder his parents? Or a spouse involved in a car accident turn her head to see their husband was killed in it? We need to help ourselves and other people grieve well. As 1 Thessalonians 4.13 reminds us, we can handle trauma because we do not grieve as those who do not have hope. Christians grieve with the faith and hope in a sovereign God who loves us and takes care of us and is in control of all things. 
That doesn't mean that we don't need to cry or even deeply weep. We do and we will. Grieving well means to experience the thorough sorrow that the situation demands. We must not try to cut off the grief or numb the pain in any way. And instead of going directly to anger or fear of the future, we have to stay in the present, acknowledging that the event happened and how we were impacted by it. There's a good reason why PTSD isn't diagnosed until at least a month of difficult symptoms like sleeplessness and anxiety and depression and hypervigilance. A person must be allowed to grieve, to have deep sorrow, to be sad over the event. Again, if we don't grieve well, that sets us up to carry PTSD symptoms on into the future. To not admit a situation is hard or scary or traumatic and that it saddens our hearts is not healthy or godly. Here's another principle then. Embrace a new normal. Trauma changes us, and not just in bad ways as some would imagine. Our normal life will change, at least for the time being, depending on the traumatic situation itself. Clearly, a soldier who goes off to war and finds himself on the front line, will come back home after the war a changed man. He may not have PTSD, but he has been impacted by the evils of war. Or the family that has experienced a home invasion that nearly cost all of them their lives. Can they actually live in that home any longer? Would it be abnormal to move to a safer neighborhood or get a much better security system? Or what about Christian parents who were just told that their son has come out as a gay man and recently married another man? Won't that change just about everything in that family life? You get the idea. Many traumatic events change the way we've been living up to that point. Some changes will be good and helpful and necessary. But unfortunately, others may resist changing anything and just end up being a fearful or angry person. In some ways, PTSD occurs when a person rejects the new normal, refuses for things to change, or tries to control how things will change. When the stress rules a person's life, it often indicates that the new normal is a worse normal, or the person can never feel normal again. Now, don't get me wrong, life after a trauma may not be as good as life before in certain ways. Losing a spouse or a child is worse than having that person alive. Recovery from a devastating hurricane is worse than no hurricane in the first place. Yet to end up in a hopeless state that says, my life is over, is never where the Christian can remain. Only Christians can move forward to a place where the new normal is accepted and embraced as God's plan for my life. Then, There's the fear and anxiety to deal with. PTSD and any sort of poor response to stress really falls under the category of fear and anxiety problems. Remember that being stressed out is just code for being anxious and fearful, resulting in anger or depression. So to deal with PTSD, one must face the anxiety and fear that comes along with the traumatic event. To review the biblical principles concerning anxiety problems, go back to season one. 
But specific to PTSD, isn't it understandable that a person would be more fearful and anxious after a traumatic event? Certainly. But that doesn't mean that fear and anxiety must now characterize his or her life in perpetuity. It is acceptable to acknowledge that fear will be heightened for a while, that there'll be a sleepless night or two, some bad dreams, a level of skittishness, an anticipation of something else bad happening. But as believers, we again recalibrate, seeking to trust God, find peace in him, rest in his sovereign might. Trauma must not make us begin to live a life of trying to control what we can't control, even though a person may be tempted to do so. We must also be careful not to believe that if something similar happens again, there is no way we can recover. That also simply heightens PTSD-like symptoms. Telling ourselves lies that we can never survive another trauma will only set us up for more fear and anxiety. Hopefully you're not hearing me say that saying no to anxiety and fear and yes to trust in God is easy. It's a challenge for all of us, yet it is achievable by the gracious work of the Lord. Then the next principle, we must handle the physical impact. Since we as people are both body and soul, we also recognize that trauma takes its toll on our bodies as well. Sometimes the traumatic event directly involves our body in a severe injury, disability, or disease. Obviously, our body will need medical help to restore it back to functioning in cases like that. But even when the trauma does nothing directly to our bodies, it will still have physical impact. As mentioned already, people with PTSD can have insomnia or have a severe change in eating habits or develop an anxious stomach, heart, or blood pressure issues. It may seem like a person has no control over these sorts of body issues. Yet to overcome PTSD, a person must return to healthy physical habits, proper sleep, proper eating, exercise, etc. Understandably, the first days and weeks after a trauma will often bring about a normal upset of routine and good habits. Yet it is essential to press on towards good physical health to correspond with good soul health. No, a person will not simply get over PTSD by a few good nights of sleep or a few days of eating well. Yet these habits will be the beginning of adjusting back to life. Trauma has a way of disrupting the disciplines of life. As Christians, we must be reminded of the importance of spiritual as well as physical disciplines and then work hard to restore or start new disciplines that will influence the mind, emotions, and the heart level as well. Now let's finish up the topic of PTSD with a few more important principles. The first, where is God? Just about every time there is a very public traumatic event, someone asks, If God existed, why does he let all this evil into his world? Many people ask that same question when tragedy impacts their life personally. Now, while this question may sound offensive, it is a legitimate and necessary question to ask for many, and then to answer it biblically. Where is God in the midst of my suffering? 
Unfortunately, some Christians believe that God is not sovereign, so he is unable to stop tragedy from happening. Others believe God has just shifted all the responsibility to people and keeping himself then out of the loop. On a very personal level, some Christians believe that God could have stopped the trauma, but just isn't loving or caring enough to do it. So part of the process of recovering well from trauma, avoiding PTSD or solving PTSD, is to think biblically about who God is and where God is in relation to the trauma. Does God exist? Is he all-powerful? Does he care about me? Does he have a plan? Avoiding questions about God will not solve the problem. Wrong answers to these questions will only make things worse. This is why only biblical counseling will help people deal well with trauma. The question of God and good and evil must be addressed. We need to believe the truth about God in order to survive a trauma and thrive after it. Any unbiblical lie about God that Satan tempts us with will only create new problems for us. Helping another person believe the truth about God must be connected to a lot of love and compassion. It will not help a person with PTSD to only hear judgment and condemnation because he or she is struggling with God. We must let the person wrestle with God through their suffering. Then secondly, we need to talk about where real strength comes from. Remember some of the early beliefs about shell shock is that certain soldiers were just weak and frail and needed to be ridiculed and toughened up. It is tempting to think a person suffering from PTSD symptoms is just not a strong person, can't handle crises, or is a wimp. Even the person may have those thoughts about himself. As Christians, do we believe God's word when it says, When I am weak, then I am made strong? 2 Corinthians 12.10 Do we believe that God is made strong in our weakness? Or do we just give these scriptures mental assent, but really believe our task is to be as mentally, emotionally, and physically strong as possible? The truth is that PTSD can be rooted in the desire to be strong on our own, to rely on our own strength rather than to rely on the strength of the Lord or even the strength of others. Let's face it, it's hard for us as Christians to get our heads around the process of being strong in the Lord, relying on his strength rather than our own. Yet trauma always gives us the opportunity to grow in the grace of being weak so the Lord can be strong, to rejoice in the strong work of the Spirit, and to enjoy the strength that others bring to the table on our behalf as well. Now my final word on where we are today with the whole problem of PTSD and stress-related disorders. Everything can't be traumatic. Do you know that we now have a field and discipline called psychotraumatology that studies and treats the problem of trauma? As I said in the outset, we continue as a culture to move in the direction of everything in this life being traumatic. Or to say it another way, for more and more people to live in a state of being traumatized by lots and lots and lots of different things. More and more people are explaining present problems by pointing to early childhood trauma, even the trauma of having a difficult childbirth experience. 
Many things that were really not that traumatic to past generations are experienced as trauma by this generation. I've even read numerous reports of people experiencing PTSD symptoms due to the election of Donald Trump. Now, please don't hear a lack of compassion for people's trauma experience. Remember, my first principle was lead with compassion. My point is that we must take great care not to be traumatized by things that, in the big picture, are not as bad as we may think they are. As hard as some events may be, we must be careful not to descend to end-of-the-world thinking or think that we will never recover. We must not let our emotions and our anxious thoughts run down the road of making anything that is challenging and uncomfortable and even difficult as impossible. And for the Christian... It is just not true that any trauma leaves us without hope and without a future in Christ. We are still on the way to heaven. No, everything in this life is not awesome, and many things are traumatic. But thanks be to God that Jesus Christ is on the throne, that his spirit is at work in our hearts, and that we can become free from fear and anxiety that wants to rule our souls. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.